Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. My co-host is Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, the past president of the AANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles in the association. Our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs. We recently went on a podcast recording blitz at the ANA meeting in Chicago. We conducted lots of interviews with some of the industry's most interesting people. All right, Sharon, one more time here in the Windy City of Chicago. At the AANA Annual Congress, and if you are not here, you are missing it. It's been a great meeting. I was just telling our, our next guest, I'll leave you in suspense for a moment, about how wonderful I feel like this meeting has been. Mm-hmm. There seems to be an energy and really good from an outsider. So our next guest has been with us before. Steve Munn. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Welcome back, no. Steve. It's been so long since we've had you. One I of the, know. Thank you so much. <laughs> one of the smartest men I know. Uh, Sharon raves about you. And I, all the time. She really I do. does. She like mentions you. She's like, all the time, Steve this, Steve that. I'm like, does his he wife is, know you talk about him that listen, much? Or what? He is truly one of the smartest men I know. Pierce, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, But let me give you a little bit of background. We were at the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists meeting, and after the meeting was over with, I had put together a group of people to go on a cruise down the Danube on Avalon. And we all did some continuing education stuff, and it was when we could still write it off on our taxes. Mm -hmm. And Steve You can if you're 1099. Okay, see? (laughs) Go back and listen to that podcast. But Steve did a talk on healthcare in the 21st century, and it was so informative and so eye-opening that I thought, that it shouldn't just be confined to those few of us that were on that Avalon cruise. So I asked him to come and do this with us. So we might not be on a cruise down the Danube. <laughs> but you, all of you listeners out there can pretend that we are. And Steve has such a vast array of knowledge. He was a, I'm going to do your own bio for you. He was in law enforcement for 20 years before he became a CRNA. And then he's run hospitals. He's been in the military. I mean, he is just 
an all-around man of many talents absolutely he is and actually i have a fabulous picture of him from one of the pack events remember the the guy after world war ii and he dipped the nurse and kissed her and steve mine dressed up as that man and i've got a picture of me being dipped oh wow by Steve Mudd. <laughs> I see why she talks about you so much. Well, it was unfortunate. It was a sailor, and I'm an Army guy. But I uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our topic is health care in the 21st century. So, Steve, you know, it's interesting with the state of health care today. Who knows where health care is going to be in 20 years or 30 years? It's an interesting dynamic that we're dealing with. So I'll let you kind of take off from there. It is an interesting, and I would even say to you, Jeremy and Sharon, that we don't know where it's going to be five years from now. I mean, yeah. I think all of us would project at you know, 20 years and that sort of thing, that those are hard. But I think it's changing so rapidly. I mean, I've, the expression's been used, a constant state of perpetual whitewater, and how do we get yeah. through that? And I think it's a, we have a great opportunity here to help lead that, particularly at least in the anesthesia world, and, and just as leaders as we continue to advance. I've been fortunate enough to, besides being clinical, but to get into some of those discussions as I moved up in my leadership role. But, I mean, I think we have to, even as frontline providers, you have to understand what the C-suite wants. And basically, it can come down to four things. They want a high-quality organization. They want that organization to be cost-efficient. They want to deliver results that truly matter. And they want metrics-based and cost-accounted things that go on. And so how do we do that to make that happen? Well, it kind of sounds like you just defined what nurse anesthetists do. You are exactly I mean, right about. Am I the only one that got that in the room? I mean, um, you know, cost effective, obviously. High quality. High quality. I mean, every one of those metrics, I think, the CRNAs hit on every day. And we do hit on those every day, but now we have to take that out of the world of anesthesia and partner with the other parts of the hospital. I mean, when I was approached to do things and as the director or senior director, it was I never turned down an opportunity to expand the anesthesia department. For instance, the best example I have for it is I was sitting in nursing meetings and, and part of being a leadership in your department is don't get focused on just the anesthesia department. Your director or manager needs to attend nursing meetings, uh, nursing departments, because what happens is the people are going to make decisions. You're not in the room, and then they're going to send you a memo and say you need to implement this. So mm. anyhow, the discussion on the table was we're going to have the CRNA start every IV in the hospital. And we're talking a major hospital, you know, 500 beds. And they looked at me, and I, you know, my first instinct was not to say no. I said, sir, let me look into that for you. <laughs> and I did, and we ran the numbers, and I said, no problem. I'm more than happy to take that on a department. I need 5.7 FTEs to do that. And by the way, here's the cost for that. Mm, there you go. But the next step to be really truly to be a problem solver for your organization is not just lay that out there and say, if you don't hire me the people, I can't do the job. I said to them, but do you know something? Every day down in pre-op, we start 80 or 90 IVs before noon. I says, we're more than happy, as the recognized experts in IVs, to bring nurses down and work side by side with my CRNAs starting the IVs or the pre-op nurses, which we've all trained, which really do the majority of them for us now. Mm-hmm. And we'll be that trainer for you. I don't need people to do that. That's our service to the department. That's our service to the hospital. That's our service to the patients. And what happened? Yeah. They're not going to hire me 5.7 FTEs over a million dollars of operational costs. Yeah. Come on down and we'll put in the training for you. Yeah. 
Now, do you understand, Jeremy? I do. I, do. I love You're the getting it now. All right. We've talked a lot about reimbursement in several of the podcasts that we have taped over the process of the last two days. So why don't you talk to us about the three payment models that healthcare organizations need to engage in for the future? Well, we the whole thing is changing. And so as a result, we left from a fee-for-service where the more things we did, the more we got paid. And it was just like, you do more things. I mean, I know organizations that would go hire or install a new piece of equipment and then everybody had to have an SMA 12 blood test because we got more money to do an SMA 12 and all I really needed was your hemoglobin. But we did that test. Then we went to pay for performance and we're still kind of actoring around that idea with and more advanced with the macro MIPS and alternative payment models. But what I see coming down the road and what's gonna be more, it's gonna be this shared savings idea and you're gonna have capitated contracts. And organizations are willing to have discussions. For instance, I own a company with 3,000 employees. I'll get into a contract with your hospital for all the total knee replacements of all my employees if you tell me that you're going to do it at $25,000, arbitrary number. And I will send all my employees to you, and you'll get them all. But you'll only get $25,000. If it costs you $26,000 to do that, you lose money. But if you can do it for $24,000, you made $1,000. When we took on the uh, Sanford, uh, when I was with them, we were brought on to have the uh, public employees in North Dakota. Because we have all three, my last organization is all three parts of what I call the healthcare stool. We're an insurance company, we're a healthcare provider, and we're a healthcare employer. But our insurance division took on all the retirees. That was a capitated contract. You're going to take care of all these retirees for these things. So then we had to know how we could manage that and incur those costs. Because at the end of the year, they were going to send us X number of dollars, and we either spend more or less. And just like us in our personal lives, at the end of the year, there's got to be one more dollar in the checkbook for the hospital than the expenses are. That that model will make you pretty efficient pretty quickly. Or bankrupt. Oh, exactly. Or bankrupt. Yeah. So it's accountability. I mean, accountability as far as the provider is concerned, and it does make you more efficient. My question has always been about the accountability on the other end of the spectrum, because you may have patients with all these comorbidities, and a lot of them are behavioral issues that can be changed, but yet none of that seems to me to be addressed. I mean, if I have somebody who weighs 400 pounds, and smokes and comes in for a total knee obviously they're going to have more problems can it down the road can you get into patient selection i mean this is a huge issue that's not just as simple as it may seem from the outside looking in you're absolutely right and the problem is the payers and the regulators don't care well no (laughs) i'll take a a different i think they do care okay they just don't know how to execute it oh how can i I take this premium from you. I mean, if you really think about it, they do, right? They will assign your health care based on your smoking history there, whatever. Now, they'll do but they used to not. Well, yeah, but yeah. other that or the group, they'll look at those things. But the only people that the payers can penalize are the providers. Right. right. I, I can't, I, I've always believed that if we, you know, you're 35 years old and through your poor health, you will have an open heart surgery and we provide you open health surgery and we tell you what to do if three years down the road you've done none of those things and now you have to come back for a second open heart surgery it's like 
well, we would be more than happy to do it, put a $500,000 on the table to pay the cost of this because we told you what to do and you chose not to. And I don't know the model. I think, I hope that as a society that we will continue to say we do have some responsibility for our health care. And that's to follow what our doctors and nurse practitioners and whatever tell us and do some of those things. But as we're well aware, our country is hugely obese and has a lot of other issues, but we still don't seem to understand how to affect that. Well, healthcare has become a commodity, and it's a right, not a privilege anymore. And as somebody who has been in law enforcement, I've always said, you know, I'm accountable in every other part of my life if i drive down the road at 100 miles an hour i'm accountable for my actions because steve munn is going to pull me over and give me a ticket and i'm going to have to pay for it but i can metaphorically drive 100 miles an hour down the road with my body and not taking care of it but i'm not held accountable in some ways at that and but that's a whole other conversation well you know and i was talking to someone the other day he is uh pretty high executive at an insurance company and we were having this kind of discussion around this and one of the things he said is he said you don't realize the drug costs that are also involved he said Mm. i just had to meet with a group and i think it was a group of 85 lives is what he called it i guess employees that's what they call it in the insurance (laughs) industry 85 lives i just met with 85 lives one of their employees was put on a drug that the drug cost just the drug just this one time was 1.9 million dollars might be a hep c drug and and, and he says uh, i think it was i can't remember what the drug was or even what it was used for but and he says you want to know the issues that's a major major issue Mm -hmm. is the drug cost and how do you regulate that? The drug companies have so much money and yada, yada, yada. They're in politics. And so there's a multitude of issues, but I think from a provider perspective is, is where we're going here. But So, Steve, let's talk about mergers. You know, you get these big organizations that merge together we're locally in our market. You know, we're hearing that uh, Baptist mm-hmm. Hospital, which is a local hospital, is joining or merging or doing something with a large hospital in Charlotte, North Carolina, and how they're going to do that. Are there benefits to that outside of just a cost savings? Well, there, the reality is uh, yes and no. Ironically, in all of these mergers that have occurred, I mean, we talk about we'll have you know this availability, we'll have a, a revenue enhancement, we'll have expanded services, we'll have quality improvement. But the actual, out of all of these mergers that occurred, the one that's only physically seemed to take place seems to be in human resources, human resources departments, that the, whether I'm managing you know, 50 employees or 100 employees or 2,000 employees, you don't necessarily need, you have scale there and rather than have repetitive HR issues all over. But an interesting is the advisory board company, which is a nationally recognized, works with a lot of hospitals and helps them get things up. They're predicting that the only way we're going to sustain a healthcare organization is through volume volume is going to equal success because they predicted in their study that they did most recently that every organization projected operating margin in 2021 in healthcare is a minus 16.9 percent 
Minus. Okay, now <laughs> the my, money okay. guy. Right, pick right, your pick right, your jaw right, up. All right. So so we start with that. So what are, what are they doing to try to fix that? Well, they say, well, we can have after revenue improvements. We can uh, uh, fix our you know the idea that we have less uh, days accounts receivable and do things we can for that thing. The next is after cost. You can growth reduction things. You can have some consolidation, which could do some things like that, and do that. But then you one of the big areas that impacts all of us and particularly where anesthesia can be a big player is the concept of length of stay improvement i mean that whole idea i mean uh, in one of the hospitals i started at every woman that had a hysterectomy was an overnight stay and you know or this or that and we turned that into a same day surgery i mean th- hmm. the enhanced re- uh, anesthesia recovery things that we do opioid sparing things so we can get people out of the hospital because there's a lot of studies that say we do better i mean think about it I'm sick, I want to get better, and I'm going to go into the building with all the sick people. Hmm. I probably want to get out of that building (laughs) sooner than later. So you improve length of stay, and when you get all that, now you're still at about a 2.4% operating loss. So then you look at market share, and market share will get you, if you can have an improved market share, it'll get you about a 3.9% gain. And hospitals, we don't realize that, and we I think as frontline CRNA providers, we think, oh, this hospital is making millions of dollars. The reality is they operate. Hospitals operate on about a 2.5 to 4% margin. Statistically, you need a 3% margin just to maintain. Mm-hmm. I mean, fix what's broken. Give your employees an increase. I mean, health insurance goes up. This or that goes up to manage that. But you can't grow. So, but substantially, if you can have a 4% margin, that really gives you a significant amount of dollars to be able to grow, get new technology, advance your equipment, new procedures come out or things of that nature. So it's impressive when we talk about the huge dollars spent in healthcare, but it's much less impressive when you actually know what the margin is that is the bottom line. Where do all those huge dollars go then? I mean, is that, is it provider costs? Is it drug costs? What, what is it? Is there seepage in the industry that's... I don't know that there's a lot of seepage. There's certainly opportunities for things and negotiated contracts with suppliers if you're bigger organizations, but we're a people-driven thing. So in any healthcare organization, the biggest expense is people, mm-hmm. whether that's the janitor that's taking out the trash to your chief executive officer and all the doctors and nurses and stuff. So it really is the people. I mean, we can't deliver healthcare without people and that's our major cost. So we have to look for those other opportunities to deal with and how we can achieve it. I mean, you as an anesthesia provider, I don't wanna necessarily be so restrictive that I have to tell you, you can only use these particular drugs. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important for us to make good decisions. Why am I using a $300 drug when I know very well a competing drug for $20 will do the same thing? And so the way I did it in organization I work, I put the costs out there. I didn't tell you as a provider what drugs you could use, but I did show you that you know if you use this drug, it costs this amount, and if you use that drug, it costs that amount. You may make a choice that way. And then, and then we'd have honest discussions in departments, and we'd say, you know, and the bottom line is if, 
we don't have much money left in the anesthesia budget. Where can I give you a raise? Explain that to me. Oh, yeah. I like that leverage. I know that you do. It's kind of like McDonald's putting the calories out there. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I just relate back, you know, that whole healthcare thing back to anesthesia and CRNAs versus our other friends and the cost perspective there. And, you know, I think this is a good dialogue, good discussion, because that's what CRNAs need to understand exactly what you said you know the more cost efficient you are the better off you're going to be in the long run the most cost effective provider and that's that is our biggest selling point i mean for healthcare organizations to employ more and more full service full scope of practice providers and utilize them to cut down those personnel costs and gain from there yeah well, speaking about utilization, what factors are driving utilization of healthcare today, Steve? Well, we got factors trying to push it down and factors pushing it up. So pushing the factors down our economy. We had people 10 years ago in our recession that delayed having elective surgery for fear of the cost. And not only that, for fear of, I take it do a procedure that's going to take me out of work for six weeks. And now my employer looks at, well, you haven't been here for six weeks and the building hasn't collapsed. Maybe we don't need you. Mm. So there was fear of that. There were higher out-of-pocket costs. Insurance programs changed. So you had to now pay $5,000 instead of $100. You had medical home value-based purchasing, managed care ideas and that. And then lower use rates and lower reimbursement and reimbursement challenges drove the market down. But the pressures that were pushing healthcare utilization up is we have an aging population. Uh, new technology. I mean, every year, GE, whoever, Philips, they're going to come and want to sell you the newest MRI machine, sure. right? And so that Not fix population <laughs> grows, chronic disease. And then, so the only way to fix this is you got to increase market share. And that's why you're seeing all of these consolidations. And there, in some organizations, uh, my last organization, we think we needed to manage patient care from birth to death. So there was a major merger with Good Samaritan. So we're, we have a lot of long-term care facilities and things like that. Mm. So that when we discharge you from the hospital, if we can manage your care in that rehabilitation center or the longer-term facility, instead of them sending it back to us, which is a huge penalty, that word mm-hmm. readmission, we suffer. If we can manage you out there now, you're part of our continuum, and we can actually keep the money that we're entitled to. Is that readmission? Are you talking about like bundled payments? Is exactly. That, yes. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. So, what what do you think the future of payers of healthcare services is? I'm a little concerned right now. I mean, I <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I mean, we've heard about a single payer system and other things of that nature. Uh, I think the change to the payers is just. It is so up in the air, and we really don't know what's going to happen to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result of that, so I think we have to be constantly vigilant of it. I think our national organization does a good idea of monitoring things. But typically, the private sector insurance companies have followed the way of the Medicare program. I mean, Medicare, Medicaid mm-hmm. is the largest health care insurance company in the world. Yeah. And if they're going to change something, the private payers are probably going to go down the same side. Mm-hmm. So if they're going to reimburse for something, it'll then the private payers may reimburse for it. Well, if Bernie has its, his way, it'll be Medicare for all. <laughs> 
He's not the only one, Sharon. Uh, Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> I think there's some advocates on both sides of the aisle. Sure. They're just not talking about it. Well. Um, but we have to control costs. I mean, we really do. I mean, we have, yeah. we're the world's largest spender, and yet we don't have the best outcomes. Yeah. And that's very clear. And why is that? So. You know, I'm in my getting ready to start my policy class at Yale, and we're reading a lot about that. And it's pretty startling statistics out there. And it's a complicated issue, to yeah. be sure. But talking about health care issues, what's the best way to stay informed, do you think, Steve? You know, it's a very simple way, and I pass this on all the, to all the students. I, I, but there's a thing called Becker's Reviews, and you just go to beckersreviews.com. You sign up for it, and you can choose to get a number of them. There's clinical ones, there's infection ones, there's just, but it's a little email you'll get every day that'll have the top 10 or 15 stories about this organization, these two companies are gonna merge, these hospitals are closing or things of that nature. And I think it's imperative for all of us to just kind of have that knowledge and see it because to make an analogy from my law enforcement career, when new drugs are entered into the illicit drug world, they seem to come from the coast. East Coast, West Coast. I mean, it just Hmm. seems that the population centers, they did it. And then the law enforcement uh, had to figure out a ways to combat that. How do we catch them? How do we do this? So by the time they got to the Midwest many times, they had tried six things that didn't work. So consequently, we didn't have to go through that same learning curve. Hmm. And so I would argue that as providers, we need to be just knowledgeable. Even the frontline, you just need to know where are the trends? Are these hospitals consolidating? National organi- uh, anesthesia management companies, what does that mean? And watch where that's going so at least we have some awareness. So when all of a sudden one day you read that your hospital's being acquired by somebody, you should have had some foresight of that. Good friend of mine turned me on to <clears throat> Becker's, Kimberly Gordon. She's like, you have got to read this. Huh. And it doesn't take much time out of our day. I mean, you can get into it and get every story, but there are some highlights. And I mean, like right. when I was working in North Dakota and Angeles in South Carolina, and I see something at this hospital in South Carolina was you know, changing, I'd say, did you check this out? I mean, is that one of your clinical sites? Because <laughs> <laughs> they're all of a sudden saying they're going to be closing this hospital. Hmm. So how do you determine value in healthcare these days? You know, that's a huge question. You can't create something you can't define. So we need mm-hmm. to, how do we define healthcare? How do we define healthcare value? I mean, a traditional way to define it is you take quality and divide it by cost. But what is quality? I mean, we don't, right. what is? How do you define that? I mean, usually we just assume quality, right? right? I mean, the question is, I mean, if you actually knew, would you have the median quality CRNA on your case? I mean, would you? I mean, no. We always want the best. I want the guy that made a quality. C, not yeah, the yeah, A. Yeah. You know? Well, that's just it. So we just have these assumptions of quality right. and as a result of that. And a lot of times the cost is we don't know and we don't care because we don't know how to quantify the cost correctly. And we don't do a very good job of that. So I do love Michael Porter, a PhD who's done a lot of significant studies in this issue. And he says value should be outcomes divided by cost. Ah. Let's have the outcome. What is the outcome that we fixed your knee? Mm-hmm. Uh, the outcome is we healed your pneumonia or something of like that. So it depends on results and not inputs. Okay. First, you know, it, we usually looked at it as inputs. The more inputs you had and the less cost, you'd have a high value, in, right. you know, in organization. And if you had a, a few inputs with a high cost, then you had a low value. But really, it should be about the outcomes. It's very multidimensional. We look at the full cycle. 
So, uh, Steve, how can providers show their value to their organizations? Well, you have to ask yourself every day, what do you bring? What do you bring? Simple things. Do you show up on time? Hmm. Do you help uh, become a team player? The analogy was what I told the story earlier about how are we going to be a team player to get the nurses, I mean, sure, high cost to have every CRNA start every IV, but right. we can still get high quality if we help during that training. So you got to search for those opportunities to provide services. And you got to get membership on hospital committees so that you're there. And then you got to show up and you have to contribute. Yeah. Well, I know there's a lot of these, but they're, you know, what are the wastes in healthcare organizations and, and how could our listeners be the solution to some of those? Well, there's a number of ways. We put them in particular buckets, but generally speaking, they're if I use three broad buckets, it'd be financial, clinical, and personnel of the many types. So financial waste, uh, you open three ET tubes. Do you really need to uh, open three ET mm-hmm. tubes? I mean, it may doesn't mean anything to you. I mean, if you have a logical reason to have it, but do you actually need to open them? I mean, and I know sometimes when we had pediatric kids, we'd open up you know, what we think and a size on either side. But think about your process. Would there be a more cost-effective area to do that? Clinical, the whole ERAS thing. Mm-hmm. Are we? Mm-hmm. What can we do from that perspective to improve that? And then personnel costs. Do we have the right people doing the right thing? But you know something? Reality is every system is perfectly designed to get the results they do. So unless you look at the system, mm. It will not. And that's not a Steve Munn quote. That was actually a quote from Dr. Ball Paddleton. But I use it all the time because they are. And interestingly enough, one person's waste may be my income. Hmm. So That's true. We have to figure a way to, again, back to the quantify that down to the level. You know, every CRNA, as we're talking about CRNAs here, needs to understand those numbers. Like Steve said, yes. If there's no money left at the end of the year, where does your raise come from? Well, that's exactly right. I mean, and, and it's not always around money. I mean, it's wasted time. Example, right. when we designed our new hospital and uh, we had significant input, the organization did a really good job of uh, having input from the end users. So we used a warehouse and we built the ICU room as it was going to be, the entire head wall, and then brought the ICU nurses in there and said, is this going to work? And they go, no, that's over here and I need that over here. (laughs) And you think, well, that's not a big deal. But just think about it. If every day that nurse has to take 10 extra steps to go do something and come back, and they do that 25 times a day, why are we doing that? I mean, where do you put the Pixis machine in your OR? I mean, you put it across the room so maybe the circulating nurse can have access to it. But if you're the guy that's or the gal that's taken 99% of the drugs mm-hmm. out, why isn't it close to you and make the person who only takes drugs out once or twice maybe, if ever, put the machine? So it's that idea that it's not always a number. It may be just a physical layout of things. Well, I learned a lot about soft costs whenever I was president of the AANA. And Wanda Wilson was really good at talking to me about things like that that I had never really thought about soft costs such as a person's time so I hear what you're saying time's the most valuable thing we have time is valuable yeah Steve it's been great anything you want to conclude on as we wrap this up no I just want to encourage everyone even frontline users be involved hopefully get your managers directors whatever and then for those that have gone into some leadership look at 
stepping outside of your department and going out into other areas and be part of your hospital. But don't be a negative person. Be a solution finder. Mm, Very good advice, as always. Wonderful topic. Thank you for being here, Steve. Well, Sharon? I believe this is another wrap for us. I believe it is. From the Windy City, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you're a fan, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate us. Leave us a review. Only positive, please. (laughs) Please share episodes on social media so we can get the word out. It's a wrap. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny.